Hey, thanks for checking out this sermon. Our team worked hard to put this sermon together with you in mind, and we hope it helps you take your next step with Jesus. Enjoy. everybody. How are we doing today? Hey, it's nice to see you all. I hope you're rested. Uh, if you were late for church today, guess what? You were an hour and then however late you were to church. That's how much you were late. So good job. Um, welcome though. And um, I'm happy as Steve said, we're kicking off a brand new message series today. The topic is purpose. And we learn in scripture very quickly that God is a God of purpose. And so we're going to be looking at that in the next six weeks. We're going to look at not only what God's purpose is us for individuals and the impact and the implications of that purpose are for each and every one of us, but also what are the purposes of God for our church family? So in a couple of weeks, Pastor Steve is going to unpack some fresh vision regarding where God is taking us, why he has us here in the East Bay, and how we can be effective um, people to portray who he is and his love and grace to this, this thing uh, called our neighborhoods. And then we're going to spend one week um, of this series just looking at our five campuses, our individual locations, the zip codes that he has us in. We're going to dig into the communities and look at, okay, specifically, uh, how can we root ourselves deeper into our communities to show and share the love of Jesus, to serve more people with greater gospel effectiveness through our service, through our gospel generosity towards one another. And it's going to be an exciting and inspiring time. So I hope you don't miss one week of it. But for today, everybody, my goal, my job, my task is to kind of set the stage and give you a big picture view of God's purposes for the world. So I want to start out by sharing with you why I think a series like this is important to cover. I believe this is a vital topic to study in Scripture because, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I believe our culture is running with a seriously dangerous level of purpose. We have a purpose deficit in culture, and it's affecting people's lives to the negative. I don't know if you've noticed this. Well, people, this plays out, people seem to be more restless and more anxious now than ever before in human history. And again, I'm speaking generally, okay? This is a general observation. And I don't know if you've noticed this. Maybe you've some friends, people write about this. They'll be on vacation, right? Their bodies will be at rest. They're on the beach somewhere. They're relaxing somewhere. And yet, they'll write about this like internal humming, this engine that's inside of them that they can't seem to shut it off. And it's because the soul inside of us is aching for something more than this life is giving us. We're longing for deeper truth. We are... Uh, searching for richer significance, for deeper connections, more fulfilling, less shallow meanings in life. And, and our restless souls know that we were made for more, and yet we're searching for more, and it's not satisfying this ache. And actually, if you look at the secular 
uh, vision for this idea of a grand purpose, secular people will tell you that there is no real purpose beyond what we see in our everyday material lives. There is no grand vision behind it all. Some of you may remember, I'm going to date myself here. Do you remember the TV show Cheers? Do we have anybody that remembers that? Some of the younger people may not. Okay, so Cheers was this TV show that ran for 11 seasons, and it's about Ted Danson's character, uh, Sam Malone. He owns this bar called Cheers, and we follow this group of friends as they hang out in this bar, and it's a comedy. It's really funny. And so 11 years, and the final show, the very final show, and one of the very final scenes of the very final show, there's this very humorous interaction with all the main characters, and they're talking about the purpose of life. And they're discussing sort of various comedic takes on why we're here. And then Kelsey Grammer's character, Dr. Fraser Crane, says this. You know, <laughs> some would say the search for meaning is a waste of time. That all human life is just a cosmic accident. An arbitrary conglomeration of molecules evolved by chance. A human is an organism with a brainstem, condemning it to ponder futilely the reason behind it all. Okay, that was my, that was my Fraser. <laughs> and and it's, it's really this like funny moment in the show because it's, it's like this blatant, just blunt, expose of the nihilistic hopelessness of everyday life, and it's the predominant cultural view, and there's comedy in it, only because for some people this is their truth. And this is where we live. Uh, there was a, a British author named Alan DeBotton, and he kind of captures, I think, this, this whole dilemma very well in his book called Status Anxiety. He wrote this a couple of years ago. He coins the phrase status anxiety, which is a condition of modern life that hits us all in everyday moments, such as like a coworker at, at friend, a friend at work gets a promotion above you. Or someone that you went to high school with posts on social media, they just moved into a brand new house that's much bigger than your house, much nicer than your house. Or speaking of social media, maybe one of your friends has 3,000 Instagram followers and you have 17 followers, right? And when we see these things, right, we're, these anxieties, DeBotton says, they hit us because they trigger this idea that our status isn't where it should be in comparison to somebody else's life. And so my career trajectory, things like my influence, my popularity, my level of fitness, my body type, my level of wealth, and we look at other people and we're saying, I want their life, I don't want my life, I want your life. And modern Life pushes us constantly into this idea that it's never enough to just be yourself because you have to achieve more in all these various ways. And there's this pressure constantly hitting us, whether we're conscious of it or not, but our soul feels this pressure because higher status, the, the author says, higher status equals more dignity and more respect. He says, people are generally a lot nicer to you and they give you a lot more respect if you roll up in a party in a Ferrari than if you were to, to ride in on a bicycle. And it's kind of true, isn't it? And so his thesis is about the search for status and that is the primary purpose that drives people, that animates people in their lives. That's what gets people up in the morning. That's the end goal that they're shooting for. And so we walk around with this low-grade gnawing that we're just not enough. And he says this anxiety and this sense of 
this feeling is getting worse over time. And it's because I believe that we have more access to compare ourselves to other people than ever before. I mean, speaking of Instagram, my dog Nigel has about 1,200 more followers on Instagram than I do. <laughs> Nigel Fenton. I mean, he even had a, like a, he even had like a deal with Chewy.com. And I'm looking at my life and I'm looking at my dog's life going, man, I pretty much suck right here. I want your life, Nigel. And it hits us all. That's a true thing. Nigel Fenton, he's on Instagram. Oh, goodness. More comparisons equals more anxieties and more attempts to gain status, and then we just wash, rinse, repeat. That's life today. Barnes & Noble. You know, the, the, there's, there are stores that you can go to buy books still. Barnes & Noble is one of them. Actually, we have one in Brentwood, and we're all just kind of counting the days down until that store closes, right? I mean, that's just kind of what we're doing. Uh, well, we love going there, but nobody ever buys anything. So we'll we just take our kids there, and they play with the little train set, and then we go get like a little cake at the coffee shop, and then we leave, and then everybody leaves their books there. Maybe that's why it's going out of business. I have no idea. But last year, nonetheless, they're the largest book retailer, brick and mortar in the U.S. They announced in 2018 a huge surge in the sales of books about combating anxiety. And they noted a 25% jump in sale year over year from 2017. And they said one, they, they had a comment about this statistic. They said this, the company said, we may be living in an anxious nation. Duh, Barnes and Noble, no wonder you're about to close. No, I mean, seriously. Yes, we are. And the evidence is all around us. But here's the good news for you and I. As we've said, you were made for more than this, and we're going to take a journey through Scripture and discover together this incredible God who always moves with intentionality in everything that he does. God never does anything. He never creates anything at random. He's not capricious. He's not haphazard. That's not his character. That's not his internal sense of self. God is a God of purpose, and Scripture tells us, again, big picture, this message. Your, your purpose starts not with getting somebody else's life, but with getting God's life. We get God's life, and that's where our purpose begins, and it's rooted in Him. And the thing about we need to know also is not only this, but God's not keeping His purposes from us a secret. He wants us to know what He's up to, and He wants us to be involved. So He lays it all out in His Word, and He invites us to be a part of this. That's just who He is. So, okay, there's my preliminary thoughts. Let's dive into a passage that's going to help us kind of see how this plays out. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 12. So if you have a Bible, please, I invite you to turn there. It's the first book of the Bible. So Genesis chapter 12, we're going to look at a guy named Abraham and see what happened when his life of sort of aimlessness intersected with this God of purpose. So here it is, verse 1. Let me just read it to you. We'll go through verse 9. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah, Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. 
And Abram traveled through the land of Canaan as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. And so he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord. And he called on the name of the Lord. And then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. So we see this fascinating story of prehistory here, really, where this passage teaches us a lot about our topic. Again, big picture. We're talking big picture today. God's high-level purposes for human beings on this planet begin to crystallize and they take shape around Abram's life. So we can learn a lot by studying this passage today. There's application by how Abraham interacted with God all these years ago. So we can learn about our purposes today by looking at this situation. Now, first of all, by the way, I said his name was Abraham, and here we read it's actually Abram, which Abram uh, means father. That's a word that means father. That's his name. But later on in the narrative, he gets his name changed to Abraham, which means father of many. So it's very similar to the words, but it's uh, this dynamic transformation that, that takes place in his life as he goes from papa to big papa. And it's really a fun story to read, and I encourage you to study this later this week. But I want to look at this passage today, and I want to notice just three things about the ways that God's purposes operate in our lives. So I'm going to give you the outline ahead of time, because this is what nerds do. We talk in outlines, and here it is. God's plan, number one, is to be a blessing to us. The second point here is God's plan is for us to be a blessing to others. And then I want to look at the specifics of how God's plan in a big picture unfold over time in our lives. So that's where we're headed. First, let's look at this point here. God's intention and desire is to bless Abraham. He says this in the first couple of sentences, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. This is powerful. I will bless you. Of all the things that God could do and God could say about his intentions for Abraham when he initially contacts him, the one detail he gives, the primary purpose God has for him is he simply says, hey man, I want to bless you. This is so key. It's super powerful. It's actually shocking for maybe some of us to learn that God's big picture purposes for his life, for us to interact with his life, is, is his to bless me. He wants to bless me. He wants to bless you. He wants to bless your kids if you're a parent. He wants to bless your family. He wants to bless your neighbors. Every single person on this planet, God wants to bless. And maybe you've not thought of God this way. Maybe your view of God is that God is just simply up there sort of keeping track of what we do right and what we do wrong, and then pretty soon the hammer is going to come on us. Or maybe your view of God is that God is sort of aloof, and he doesn't really care about anybody. He just spun the world into existence, and he's walking away, and he's on his coffee break. Or perhaps maybe you've forgotten that God is a God who is this way towards us, but it's clear, crystal clear that God has created the world so that the whole world can be blessed by him. That's God's heart. That's God's character. That's God's disposition to us. And it's a major motif in all of scripture. 
from cover to cover, quite literally, from the very first chapter of Genesis chapter one. Listen, here's what it says. God blessed Adam and Eve and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. What is it? What did he do to them? What did he say? He blessed them. This is from the very beginning of human time. God blesses his children. And then we flip to the very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, the very end of the book. What is happening in that chapter? Guess what? More blessing. Jesus says, blessed are those who wash their robes meaning those who have received his life and the transformation that comes through a relationship with Jesus, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city of heaven. What is happening here? Blessing from snap to whistle, from cover to cover. God is wanting to bless. His plan for each and every one of us is to be wrapped in his love, to be wrapped in his life in this abundance. God says to each person here in this room, Everybody watching online, all of our campuses, God says, my plan always was from the very beginning, and my plan is now currently, no matter what you're going through, and guess what? Later on in your life, my plan will be always to bless you. What do you think about that? I think that is so awesome. I think, I love this about God. I love this about him. Our, you know what our response is? Our response is to be blessable. God, you want to bless me? I want to be blessable. I want to have a posture where I'm going to receive your blessings. Now, what does this mean? This word to be blessed by God or this phrase, what does this mean? I think there's a lot of confusion about it, so I want to look at the biblical definition of it. And it's actually a really lovely word, a lovely word in the Hebrew. Uh, there's a, a, a scope of meaning to it. So it's one of these words that kind of has a lot of different facets to it. In Hebrew, it's pronounced, uh, it's, okay, I'm going to try this. I'm not very good. It's pronounced barah. You got to get one of these. There it is. There it is. I got it at the end. I got it at the end. All right. That was free. Okay. It can include... The word means it can include, it can include things like, like God's abundant material provision for us. It can include success out of our vocations, good health, long life, protection over our bodies, favor in our dealings with others. It can include power and influence in the community. It can mean like things practically like, hey, the weather is great and my crops are really growing well. It can also mean like my kids love me. You know, you raise your kids and you hope that they, you know, at least want to you know, come over for Thanksgiving, right? And here it says, you know, the Bible's like, that. Hey, no, your kids, are, there's closeness, their kids love you. It can, mean, it can mean so many of these wonderful things. But listen, here's the thing. None of what I just said actually really captures the essence and the core of what the word blessing really means. Because let's say the things I just listed aren't happening in your life. And instead, you may be seeing a reversal in career, a reversal in health, a reversal in relationships. And if that's happening, and for many of us, that is our story right now, well, does that mean that God has stopped blessing you, that he's forgotten his grand purpose for your life? Or that maybe does it mean that he's, he's kind of keeping track, and so you've done some things to kind of choke off God's blessing? Well, actually, biblically, absolutely not. Because the things, those good things... They can include God's blessing, but they're not the main substance of what it means to be blessed by God. Okay, here's what is. 
Here's what is the true essence of God's blessing is that we get God's presence in our lives. The true essence of God's blessing is God himself. The Bible is totally clear on this. It's not stuff. It's not success. It's not popularity. It's him. He is your greatest blessing. A relationship with God. His presence, his love, his heart, his grace. All of that transcends any of the externalities that I talked about before. This is what scripture teaches us about the blessing of God. Do you believe this? Have you been in a spot in your life where you're like, my life is, I'm in a trough, I'm in an undulation, I'm at a low point, I'm in a valley, and have you ever been tempted to think that maybe God has forgotten about you and he's cut off his blessings from your life because you can't tangibly see or feel the external sides of the good stuff of life? Has that ever happened to anybody in here? And everybody should be raising your hands right now. I mean, it's just life. Life happens. And so we, we mistakenly equate God's blessing with these externalities when scripture is teaching, yes, it can be those things, but what it really is at its nuclear core is that God is with you in the trough and in the valley. He's sitting there with you, walking you through the tough spots of this life. That is God's true blessing. That is our destiny and our purpose. You know, there's this moment in scripture earlier in Genesis, there was these two brothers. Do you remember them? Cain and Abel. You remember Cain and Abel? All right, this is a tragic story. Some of you may be familiar with it. Cain ends up killing Abel. And God has this kind of conversation with Cain afterwards. And it's almost like this. You get the sense it's like face to face. And what God does is he cuts off his blessing to Cain. And do you know what part of that that Cain laments the most? Here it is. Genesis 4. Cain says, my punishment is more than I can bear. I shall be hidden from your face. So it's not that Cain was tossed out of his community, that he lost his family, that he committed this this heinous crime, right? The the biggest thing that he was so just busted up about is that he was now going to be alienated from God's presence. This was the curse of Cain. The curse of Cain is that he not lost material things, but he lost his relationship with his God. This, in fact, is the Bible's definition of hell itself. Hell, the apostle Paul in the New Testament describes as a place of everlasting destruction where there's people that are shut out. Where? From the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Oh my goodness, to be cast away from the presence of the Lord is literally hell. Therefore, we can conclude, friends, that again, the nuclear core of God's highest blessing is when he says to us, I will be with you. I will be with you. And the fact is, as I've said, we've all felt God's external blessings being turned off. But if we have a limited view of blessing, we'll be in a lot of trouble. We have to remember. We have to allow the Bible's teaching, the Bible's vision of blessing to build the conviction in us that his presence, I can go through anything if his presence is with me because that's his highest blessing for my life. Do you believe this? Oh my goodness, do you like this? Is it nice to know that that is his? There is a woman, thank you for clapping up there. 
this is, okay, this is me, all right? So we can clap, we can laugh, we can cry, you can, you know, take pot shots at me. That's fine, I may, I may zing it back towards you, but this is me, remember, I love the interaction. So yes, this is incredible truth. All right, I need to move forward just a little bit. We're gonna look at the second point, and I'm not gonna cover it very much, I'm just gonna give you a real quick kind of cliff's notes of it because the rest of the series is really diving into this point. And the point is this, is that God blesses us, as I've said, with his presence, but he, he, he doesn't just, that's not the end of it, because the purpose of our blessing is that we become a blessing to others. This is the MO, the modus operandi of God. Again, he said to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, right? That's only half of it, because then he goes on to say, I will make your name great, and you will what? You will be a blessing. God loves to work in partnership with people. God is a partnership type of God. He's a relational God. In fact, God is being a trinity, the Father, Son, and the Spirit. There are these triune, co-equal, co-eternal persons of the Godhood that are in relationship and in partnership with each other. There's this dance, um, this choreography within God himself. It's his nature. And if that's who he is in his ontological self, then he's going to operate that way with you and I because he's consistent with himself. And so God says, I'm going to bless the world. Every single person in this world is going to be blessed. And I'm going to do that where? Through people. I'm going to work through people to accomplish my end game. And so God's Endpoint destination for Abraham and Sarah wasn't just to bless them and then it stopped. Rather, he chose them to partner with them to bless other people. And so this gives us then a huge neon sign as to our own life purpose. Again, big picture, big picture life purpose. The blessings flow into my life, into your life from God, but they should never stop with us. They should come to, they should come to us and then they should flow through us. And we're here on this earth with an assignment from God and this is it. This is the assignment that we have to be a blessing to others. This is your life purpose, friends. This is your life purpose, this is my life purpose. So let me ask you, when was the last time that you know of that you got to bless somebody? Maybe you're like, oh, 10 minutes ago, Billy, I blessed somebody, awesome. Some of you are like, I, I'm not really sure, I haven't really thought about it like that. And this is an excellent challenge for each of us to say that the Christian faith is bigger than just my blessing and just your blessing because we've got to get out there and be a source of blessing to others, meaning we've got to give somebody else comfort. We've got to give somebody else mercy. So question time, who in your life has yet to be blessed by you? Who can you empower? Who can you lift up? Who can you encourage? Who can you materially help? Who can you open a door for? You know, some of you are in a position to open doors for other people, your door openers. Do you know what I mean by this? It's kind of a metaphor. Do you get it? Do I have to explain it? No, you get it. You're a door opener. A way to bless somebody else is to help them walk through an open door. Maybe that's what your plan for your life is this week even. The big picture purpose is who can I be a blessing to? Again, we're going to spend a lot more time on this. I just want to, okay, so take that, kind of tuck that away, put that in the pocket, put that in the heart, and then kind of pray about this kind of mold this over this week, and then we're going to dive deep into that as we go through the, the message series. But I want to just touch on this last point and talk a little bit about here the unfolding nature of the specifics of how God wants us to bless others and how God wants to bless us. There's an unfolding nature that comes with Abraham's life. A pattern emerges that pretty much holds true not just for Abraham and Sarah, but for each and, of us, each and every one of us today throughout all history. Here, here's the teaching. 
is that God never tells you all the details up front. When it comes to the specifics of how this plays out in your life, guess what? He never tells you all the details up front. He just never does. He never, ever does this. He actually didn't even, the father didn't even tell Jesus everything. He just never tells you all from the beginning. There's some information at the start, certainly, but it's never all of the information. Have you ever noticed this about your relationship with the Lord? If you're a Christian, have you, is this hold true for your life? Has God asked you to do something, but then he just leaves out huge chunks of information at the front end, right? Well, he did this with Abraham, and he's doing this with us. When Abraham receives his initial calling, the Lord's laying things out. But God just leaves a ton of stuff out. Here it is. Go from your country. This literally means get out. This Hebrew means get out. Get out of your country. Get out of your comfort zone. Get out of your people. Get out of your father's garage. That's what it means in the Hebrew. Get out of your father's garage. Stop sleeping on your dad's couch. And go where? Oh, I'm going to show you later where. Notice God does not say, oh, in the next sentence. It's not here. Here's the exact location that I'm sending you. And he gives him like the GPS coordinates. You know, 31.5326 north, um, 35.0998 east. Ah, boom, Hebron. This is where Abraham and Sarah would end up. Notice, though, that God doesn't give him this Google uh, animation and just say, now get, get to getting now. Go, I've shown you where to go. Absolutely not. God doesn't do this. Instead, God says, just get out. And I'm not going to tell you where to go. I'll show you that later. Now, some of you are like, wait a second, Billy. A few minutes ago, you said that God doesn't keep his purposes secret from, from us. And yet here, it seems like you're telling us the exact opposite. That God is withholding details, keeping things secretive from us. What gives? Why, how can you say those two things? I'm glad you asked that. You're very smart. It's a very good question. <laughs> Here's the answer. Actually, God does show Abraham where to go, but it's, it's just eventually. So they're well on their way, Abraham and Sarah. They're well on their way before God gives them the clarity that they probably wanted on the front side of it. All that came later. It's not hidden. It's not secret. It's just divinely delayed. So God follows kind of a pattern. Let me state it this way. He follows generally this, that there is an initial promise. There is an initial vision of your future, of your destiny, of how this plays out in your life. And then there's always waiting. Friends, I'm here to tell you the truth. There's a bunch of waiting involved. God loves to make us wait. It's all part of the process as we sit and as we just trust him, as we don't try to force a door open and make things happen on ourselves. And so Abraham, his life, they waited many, many years for the promises of God to, that initially he was given for them to be fulfilled. And then there's always a struggle. There's a struggle. You've got to fight for it. You've got to go through a battle. Even, that's even in the Lord's Prayer, right? There's this battle element. There's a struggle for it. And then there's fulfillment at the end of it. So from here to here, it's just a process that God has and follows roughly this pattern. And yet... What we want, at least I'll speak for myself, well, what I want is I want to go from here to here right away. I want it instantaneously. I want to microwave this sucker and make it happen right now. And I propose to you this, that this process is paradigmatic for us because we want to know all the details, but God says, no. And the reason I believe is because if he gave us all the details on the front end, I don't think any of us would have any faith for it. We would just go for it and we'd kind of neglect our relationship with God and just try to do it all in our own strength. God says to us, I'll show you later, just trust, for you. 
trust me for now. But we say, but I, I would like some more information, please. And God says, well, just start, just get out, just go, just get going. And then we say, well, yeah, but I, I, I don't really feel like going anywhere until you tell me a little bit more information because, um, you know, that's illogical or whatever. And so there's this, what are we, how are we going to, what are we going to do? What are you going to do? Hebrews 11.8 is a, a verse in the New Testament. It describes this beautifully. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he, he was called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, he obeyed and he went. He, he obeyed and he went, even though he did not know where he was going. He did not know where he was going. Some of you are saying, wow, I love this. This is really freeing because I don't know where I'm going in my life. I have no idea. And you're feeling a lot less like a loser right now as I'm speaking to you because if God can use Abraham's life, who was literally the originator of monotheism on planet Earth, if God can use him and he didn't know what was up, then God can certainly use me for something because I don't know what's up either. So you are in good company, my friend. Now, others of you, you're, you're feeling a little stuck in your life because, again, when it comes to fully engaging in God's plan for your life, you've just pumped the brakes and you're just like, I'm not really going to budge any further until I get some more data. And God is saying to you, I love you, but latitude, latitude and longitude, they're forthcoming. <laughs> you're going to have to trust me, God says. Listen, if you want to stay in control, if you want the security of fully knowing all the details on the front end, if you're never going to make yourself vulnerable to me, says the Lord, then you don't really understand how my purposes operate in your life. So I've, I've just got to confess to you, that I'm, the reason I'm kind of, I, I know this really well because this is my life. I'm the guy who will say to the Lord, I don't really want to go any further until you tell me some more information, Lord. I'm that guy. Are you that person? I'm that person. And so, so, for example, okay, I have a pickup truck. I have a Ford pickup truck. And it has navigation in, in the dash, you know, it has those navigation things. And I love that. That's my favorite, one of my favorite features in the truck. Because I get to type in the exact final destination, which is very satisfying. And then the computer tells me exactly how to get from where I'm at to where I'm supposed to end up. And then it's awesome because as you're going, the computer will literally say in this, so it's a girl voice, a lady voice, she'll say, in 100 yards, turn left. And I'm just, oh, I just, I'm like, oh, this is so awesome. I love this. And you know what else the computer does? The lady in the computer, what she does is she then tells me the estimated time that it will take to get from here to there. And I love that because it gives me an idea, again, on the front end of how long it's going to take there. And then I just, I'm like, okay, I'm going to beat it. I'm going to beat you, lady. I'm, I'm going to beat the time. I, I'm going to get ahead of schedule. Um, I don't know what her name is. It's not Alexa. It's not Siri. I don't know. Nancy? I don't know. But I'm going to beat what Nancy says because that's just, that's like, I love that. That gives me security. I love the navigation. The problem is, is that it's serious category error to apply that situation with my life with God because that's not how God works. God is not Nancy. If your name is Nancy here, I hope that you understand it. Okay. He, 
here's what I'm saying. I'm learning and I'm still learning this lesson is to trust him more than I trust in my security. Information is my security. Data is my security. And I got to trust him more than I trust that. And maybe that's you as well. The Lord's challenging you and myself today to release the illusion of control that we think we have. To loosen our grip on this idea of security, which is pretty much a false construction anyway. And he's challenging us to trust him for our future. And he's inviting us into this great adventure of the purposes and plans that he has for us. So that's my teaching today. Let me put these pieces together. What we've covered is, at the beginning, the search for purpose in our culture, generally speaking, is misplaced and often produces feelings of anxiety because we're not able to live up to the standards that those around us have put as the purpose and the plan for where the, our life is headed. Thankfully, God is a God of purpose, and God's highest purpose is for him to bless us, and that blessing is in its purest form, his presence in our life. And God's end game for us is not to just be a catch basin of his purposes, it is to be a conduit and let those blessings flow to others. And then the specific details, of course, of how this will look in your life will be unfolded over time. That's the message. I'd like to just pray a prayer of blessing over each of us. Would you please bow your heads? Lord, I thank you so much for your holy word and that we can draw application from a text that is literally thousands of years old as you called out Abraham. Lord, it's, it's interesting Abraham, the commentators tell us he was probably an idol worshiper. He didn't deserve to be called out. He wasn't like some moral giant. And you looked at him and said, oh, well, there's finally a vessel I can work with. No, Abraham was just a man of the times. And yet you chose him and Sarah and you called him out into this life of your purposes. And I thank you, Lord. That's the picture of the gospel, that we're not worthy of your blessing in our life. We've done nothing to merit to be blessable, and yet you just, Jesus, you came to us and said, I want to be with you, and you removed all the obstacles through the cross. I thank you for that message. It's still true today for us, and I pray that we would live and move in our purposes, and we would never forget about your presence in our life. And so, Lord, I pray you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and to be sensitive to your presence in our life. Even when we're going through tough times, God, help us to know you're walking with us. And Lord, use us, we pray, to be a blessing to others and help us to give up control for those of us who are hanging on tight. We give it back to you today. And so, Lord, we love you and we thank you so much for all of these things. And I pray blessing over every person here in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. amen.